This is Terms of Reference. I'm your host, Stephen Laddick. Amy Sample Ward is the CEO of N10, a membership community that seeks to create a world where all nonprofit organizations use technology skillfully and confidently to meet community needs and fulfill their missions. Amy is dedicated to educating and supporting organizations in using technology to create meaningful community engagement and make lasting change. Whether it is by connecting individuals, organizations, campaigns, or possibilities, Amy hopes to facilitate the nonprofit technology sector transitioning into a movement-based force for positive change. In addition to serving as Intense CEO, she is a speaker, author, and trainer, having worked with groups and spoken at events around the world. In 2013, she co-authored Social Change Anytime, Anywhere, How to Implement Online Multi-Channel Strategies to Spark Advocacy, Raise Money, and Engage Your Community with Allison Capen. She previously co-authored Social by Social, a handbook in using social technologies for social impact, and has contributed to various other publications about social change and technology. I spoke with Amy in Portland. Hello, Amy. Thank you so much for being on the Terms of Reference podcast today. Thanks for having me. Where are you sitting on this lovely June day today? I am sitting at my desk in N10's Portland office, really our only office here in Portland, Oregon, where it is supposed to be in the 90s today, which is that's very like, That's like unprecedented. Yeah. Do people yeah. know what yeah. to do when it's like? already panicking. You know, <laughs> we're going to melt. We need to have popsicles at the ready. <laughs> that's fantastic. Well, I wish you a lovely June day. That's going to be fantastic. <laughs> Hopefully you'll be able to go out and ride a bike or something. Yes. You are the CEO of an organization called Intent. I am N10, the Nonprofit Technology Network. Tell us what N10 does and you know how are you creating good in the world? Well, N10, so I can share a little bit about what N10 is and I, and I think our history or how we came to be an organization is a little bit unique. So I'll share that as well. So N10, the Nonprofit Technology Network, we are focused on making sure that every nonprofit organization, whether they're, you know, regardless of their size, their budget, the number of staff they have or what their mission focus is, that all nonprofits know how to use technology to be effective in actually meeting their mission. We would like the world changed, and we'd like it changed a little bit quicker than it's currently being changed in technology for all different reasons, You know, whether that's staff effectiveness, uh, knowing what you're working on, being able to track your impact. I mean, all of those different pieces you know, come through technology and we want to make sure all organizations know how to make good decisions, know how to invest in technology, know how to train their staff, all of those pieces. And quickly, our history, the piece that I think is a little bit interesting, we always say we are a community. We are the community of nonprofit technology people, you know, where the N10 community is about 70,000 people strong now. That means not all those people are N10 members, but they're people who have participated in our educational events. They're people who have come to our conferences. They've downloaded our reports, whatever that might be. You know, they've participated in some way. And those are mostly all people who work in the nonprofit sector. And regardless of what their job title is or what their organization's focus, you know, mission is, they recognize that technology is critical to their success. So we have communications folks and development folks and leadership staff and, you know, all, everybody across an organization trying to, you know, talk and share and learn together about what tools to use. And that community existed 
before M10 existed. There were people, of course, in nonprofits or people outside of nonprofits who worked as consultants or contractors, you know, advisors. There were people who recognized the role and the importance of technology in nonprofits. And those folks were trying to self-organize, which turns out is a lot of work to put on a conference or (laughs) a meeting. So after trying to self-organize for a while, the community basically voted to form N10, and here we are. So when we say that we're a community-driven organization and that we're you know, focused on our community, it's because really, truly, the community did form the organization, and we are here to support that community and, of course, to help it grow and expand into more, more people that are aware of the resources and the connections they could have through N10. Super cool. And in the development and aid world, we have interaction, we have inside NGO, we have another, you know, a number of these similar types of more than spontaneous sort of, you know, comings togethers of a community. First question about N10, when the community decided to get together and put it together, did everybody pitch in some money? Was everybody like, hey, we've got great intentions, uh, you know, we'll volunteer. What was like the first step in creating that business structure? Sure. So there were in that community already before Enten was formed, there were, you know, there were representatives from nonprofits. There were folks who were consultants and advisors to nonprofits, but there were also funders already a part of that community. So when everyone kind of voted to form Enten, there were funders um, and technology providers who were already in that community who stepped up to say, and we, you know, we will put in that initial money to make sure that this new organization gets off the ground to continue convening all of us, which is why today we are not a community or a membership that's exclusive to nonprofit staff, but truly you can be a service provider, a technology provider, a funder, you know, all of those groups that create the larger sector are part of the community now and we're part of it from the beginning. So our initial supporters were Microsoft, who continues to support us to today, the Cerdna Foundation, and uh, the AOL Foundation. That's fantastic. You've got those foundations on board. Yeah. You, You started with them as the membership director, is that correct? I did. Back at the beginning of 2011, I came in as the membership director and kind of at that time, you know, N10 had operated as a membership organization, but had never had a staff person exclusively focused on membership. So there had been someone managing it, of course, but also managing many other parts of the programmatic work. So it was an opportunity for that staff person to focus on another area. And I came in looking just at membership and how do we, you know, how do you plan for value and engagement and how do you support this, you know, really huge community, right? That's all over the world when you can't, not everybody can come to the conference each year. So what does that look like to still extend that feeling of community? So what is that? What's the answer? (laughs) (laughs) The answer is different you know, for each community. So I've worked in community engagement, you know, how that is defined and what that looks like operationally has been different um, in every organization, but I've done, I've done that my kind of whole career so far. So the thing that's always the same is that it's always going to be based on the community, but it'll probably look different than the last time you did it. So when I, 
you know, at one point in my career, I was working um, in an organization here based here in Oregon that was focused on public education reform, but doing so from a community perspective versus a legislative, you know, a policy only perspective. So engagement and deep engagement, right? Like forming plans and recommendations and really kind of creating cohorts, if you will, was critical to, to that work. And that is going to look very different when you have educators and parents and students and administrators and, you know, all of these groups who are very much invested, but have such different kind of angles into that investment and into that outcome versus Enten's community where everybody, you know, every single person has a different perspective or desired outcome because it's their mission through the perspective of their job, you know, through the perspective of who they're serving. So you almost have to operate without all of that nuance and just say, okay, what are we really all here for? Um, And go to that larger goal, which is, I mean, as N10 articulates it, it's either to connect and to learn and to change. So you're coming to meet those people, find others who could help you find people who've done this thing before. Like how many times, you know, have we tackled a project and thought I've never done this before, but surely I'm not the first person to create a website or I'm not the first person to use a database. Like someone else has done this before, uh, or to learn about how we can do this work. You know, we all could think, Oh, I've read in the New York times about this great campaign that, you know, some organization ran. I want to do that too. Do you have any idea where to start? You know, like we, we see the, the outcome of so much work from organizations, but we don't necessarily know how to replicate that. So people come to the community looking to learn from each other. Uh, and then of course, to actually change the way we do this work and change the way we engage with our staff, engage with our communities, you know, really improve our organizations. You said, you said that at the beginning as well. You said that, you know, we'd like to see change maybe a little faster. Yeah. What, what, you know, not to put you on the spot, but I'm going to, what, you know, what are your top three or five things that you'd like to see changed in the nonprofit world? Well, I think I appreciate the attempt to get me to say specific things. Uh, I mean, <laughs> That's my to job. avoid your question, I would say that if we have, so N10 has, you know, community members from all over the world. But if we, if we want to look just at the U.S. for a second and say, here in the U.S., we have approximately 1.8 million nonprofit organizations. Are we seeing dramatically in front of our eyes, you know, our local cities improving, our communities within our city not necessarily needing the kinds of support because they have access to opportunity. I mean, are we, are we, are those 1.8 million organizations meeting their mission today? I would argue probably not. Right. So for me and why I do the, the work that I do and I'm interested in, in this approach. So, you know, where N10 doesn't focus on just environmental uh, causes or only animal, you know, organizations or whatever is because I can't separate the issues. When I worked in public education, I felt frustrated every day because my 
mind couldn't focus on public education because it had to look also at the number of those families experiencing homelessness or the number of parents who had literacy levels but lower than their children so weren't able to participate in the same way as other parents or educators who had no mentorship opportunities and felt isolated and you know all of these kind of complementary issues that surrounded that cause so for me I know I need to work in a networked space I know that I need to be working where I can you know be in a room with people from every different sector all at once, right? And it's great that there are people who can focus on a single issue. We need people to be able to do that. I just know I can't do that. And because of that, I would say, back to what I was alluding to by avoiding your question, there's so much opportunity to actually be meeting our missions, right? And we need technology, but also we need each other. We need to be in spaces where we're talking to organizations that don't do the same thing as us. Um, We can learn from each other, but also I think once you create that space where they could be connecting and learning together about something else, that's where you also start creating opportunity for organizations to say, oh, you know, we've, we've both been in these workshops or we've both been working on this project where, you know, we're thinking about these topics. I actually see synergy between our organizations, or maybe there's a way that we could both participate in this program. You know, I think there's... I I feel like I'm rambling, but the point is I don't have one thing that I want us to fix. I want us to fix all of the things, Mm -hmm. right? (laughs) We got there. We want to fix everything. Fantastic. Yes. How did you, I'm not sure how to quite word this question. You started as the membership director and now you're the CEO. What was the move there? What what, what was the steps that took place for you to to find yourself in the leadership role here at N10? I'm going to assume it's not your technology background. Is it your connectedness background? Is it you know, the fact that you were the right person at the right time? How did that go down, basically? Uh, well, I applied. <laughs> and, <laughs> uh, so N10 had the previous executive director prior to me. She had been the executive director for about six years and, and 10 years altogether with the organization. And when she transitioned out of the role, the board, you know, opened up a kind of standard search. Anyone could apply. And, and I did and interviewed amongst other candidates and in the end was offered the position. So I think it was a pretty traditional process in that way. I don't know that I anticipated all of that happening, but I'm happy that I'm here. How did you not anticipate? Do you think that you applied and were, were not confident that you'd go that direction? or You know, I think that folks were surprised to have the previous executive director transition out because especially when you're a staff person, right? Like you work with this person and then it's like, okay, you're going to be transitioning out. Oh my gosh. Like this isn't, you know, this isn't how I was thinking of the world, right? So when I applied, I also knew that I'd never been a CEO before. And I knew that, you know, I mean, you have to be realistic in those processes, right? Uh, I knew that there were certainly things that I didn't have that I anticipated other applicants having, but there were also things I had that I didn't think they had. You know, I had very much a history in this community and had been a member for many years before I joined the staff. You know, even though I hadn't been a CEO before, I still 
managed fundraising campaigns and, you know, created programs and managed community engagement strategies, you know, all those things that are still very much a part of my job here. And N10 is not an extremely large organization. So every, you know, all staff are still working together on all of those aspects of our work. You bring up an interesting point that, you know, you said you've been working under the the previous director, the the previous CEO, excuse me, um, (laughs) for several years. And when she decided to leave, it was, there was a bit of a sea change in, Mm -hmm. in the nonprofit industry in general, and especially in the development humanitarian aid world, turnover is a critical issue for everyone. Is there a way that you intend or, you know, you're just the organization itself or your community thinks about that or deals with that in general, or does that, that's not on your radar screen? Yeah. I mean, staff turnover is always going to be a thing, especially in small organizations where people may feel like they're outgrowing the role that they're in. And and if there isn't another opportunity within the organization, the last two years, you know, the two years that I've been the CEO, we've had a lot of very open conversations with staff about what that looks like and how do we create a space where staff don't feel like their option is to do the same job or to leave. You know, if we're investing in staff and really, you know, trying to create the best team possible we don't want people to feel like their growth option is to leave the organization, right? Mm-hmm. So what that's meant for us, at least the staff that we have and the conversations we've had together has meant, you know, it's, it's a little bit less about your job title and more about the responsibility and authority that you have to do your own job and creating not necessarily a traditional kind of staff hierarchy of this is your boss and this is who you work with, but really recognizing that kind of cross team value and, and how people who are all across the organization rely on you and also you rely on them, right? So reflecting that in evaluations where people evaluate each other, it's not necessarily about, you know, your quote unquote boss giving you evaluation. It's, you know, I worked with these two people you know, the last three months on this project. So I'm going to evaluate both of them and making sure everyone has professional development opportunities that they're saying, you know, I want to go to this conference and learn how to do this thing. And maybe I'll start doing that in my job, even though it's currently not what I do. So just creating that growth as an individual process instead of kind of a rigid, this is all that you're allowed to do in your job based on your job title. And and if you don't want to do that, then you can leave. But at the same time, I don't anticipate that me or anyone else in the organization is going to stay here for 20 years. So if you are feeling like you want to change, if you're feeling like you aren't growing, I'd rather have an organization where it's really comfortable to say that out loud and have other staff be a part of that process to say, okay, this person, you know, wants to move on let's all support them transitioning in a positive way and then hiring somebody who can, you know, learn everything and get up to speed. But, you know, you don't want to have a fearful space around transition. Then it becomes that kind of debilitating churn, right? Mm -hmm. Versus a more open, positive process. Right. And it becomes fear rather than true organic growth. Exactly. So tell us about your churn. How did you choose the nonprofit sector. I mean, it, the space that you're in, both technology, connecting, social media, these are all very sexy topics in the for-profit <laughs> world. 
you know, it's, it, it's, it's everything in the for-profit world. Why, why'd you choose not-for-profit? Where was that draw from? How did you get your start, cut your teeth? I guess I never considered working in any other sector. Uh, that is I mean, to be honest, uh-huh. you know, I mean, growing up, my mom worked in a nonprofit for a few years while we were growing up, but for the most part, she didn't. And my dad didn't, but I still grew up very much with, uh, emphasis from them on service and social justice and the way that individuals can influence change. And so I just, I kind of had always anticipated I would work in a nonprofit on a, on an issue that I cared about. And when I was in college, I worked for an organization uh, in the town where I went to college that served kind of a three county area focused on legal services, social services, and safe shelter for victims of domestic violence and their children. And, you know, I came in thinking this is an issue that I feel extremely fortunate I have not experienced myself or observed in my family. And I recognize that that's, you know, a pretty, a pretty rare situation to have no contact with that issue. That's really prevalent, but it is something that I care about. You know, I want more people to be in my position. I don't want people to have not experienced that be the, the smaller number. So I want to work in this. And I found that, you know, I wasn't necessarily making a strategic decision to use certain tools or to create certain communications plans. You know, I was just kind of doing the work, right? I was told, here's our goal, or here's a program that you're in charge of, make it happen. And I was using a lot of technology to do that. So at that time, Facebook was only for your college. You could only see people inside of your college. And I was using that to organize college age students to become the volunteers and help them, you know, kind of train each other on that volunteer onboarding. So I didn't have to manage it all. I was, you know, creating kind of segmented um, outreach. So volunteers were receiving different communications than donors and things like that. And, you know, again, I wasn't necessarily thinking about it. I was just getting the work done. And when I graduated and came to move back to Oregon and had to transition all that work off to someone else in the organization, I realized, oh my gosh, no one here knows how to do any of this. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm not just transitioning the group over. I'm explaining what Facebook is, why I was using it, how it's a valuable tool in supporting these people who are using this tool, you know, already to communicate with each other. I'm explaining why we need to have segmented messages based on, you know, someone's involvement with the organization and, okay, <laughs> so maybe that's the space that I should continue to operate in as that, that liaison between the tools and the strategies and the people that we're trying to serve. So from there, I think that was kind of my path was less about, you know, any specific title or organization and more that opportunity to ensure that the kind of right tools were being used at, at the right time for the right group. And of course, the goal through all of that is that people are engaged in that mission because we're not going to do, we're not going to do any of this work by ourselves, right? Like our five staff are never going to be the ones that go completely change the world. We need our community to be a part of that. And of course, we're not going to do that if we're only knocking on doors, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that can be important, the face-to-face, but it can't, it's, it's probably never going to be all that we do. 
So tell me, how do you, you mentioned earlier, one of the key things that you help your organizations do, the, the community members within Intech's community, sorry, Inten, not Intech, you, the, how they measure their success. How does Inten measure its success within its, you know, how, with, within supporting its community? Sure. I mean, we have kind of our own internal day-to-day things that we're looking at, like any organization, you know, or people coming to the training tomorrow, or did people download the report, things like that. But overall, we have a few larger outcomes that we've identified, and they're all up on the website and things like that. But really, we're trying to understand if there are more at the most basic level, more individuals inside of an organization, right? More staff people that recognize that technology is going to be critical to their success because not every organization has a quote unquote, like IT director and IT directors are not the only staff who use technology. So trying to have an explicit goal that that we are supporting people all across an organization um, is an important outcome for us to measure against, but it also guides a lot of our strategies and helps us make decisions around, you know, the type of programs to have or the type of reports to look at, et cetera. And then from there, we're looking at, you know, are those organizations changing or are they improving their policies? Are they using technology more effectively? Are they actually becoming more effective as organizations. When you think about, you know, how that community continues to evolve, one of of my favorite questions to ask is, has there been either a program or a training or a a information product or some, you know, community event that you've had that completely blew you away, you know, completely unexpected result about what you thought you'd get from that event? You know, something that you'd go and sit down with somebody over a cup of coffee and be like, let me tell you about this. This happened last week. Is there something that pops to mind? When that community kind of formed N10, you know, our nonprofit technology conference has been the annual conference we've had ever since the beginning. And it's at this stage, a pretty big conference. It's 2000 people. There's 125 sessions. I mean, it's just a That's big, a big conference. Yeah. It's a big conference. And last year in September, we launched a second conference that's purposefully a fraction of the size, (laughs) just a couple hundred people. And it's not really in any kind of on every line item, it's a different process. So instead of lots of sessions, there's just facilitated workshops. Um, Instead of a kind of exhibit hall, there are limited numbers of sponsors and they're there as experts to give you feedback on your work. So it's, it's really a space for nonprofit professionals to come in and say, you know, I have been wanting to figure out our membership strategy for years and I need the next four days to help me get there, you know, or I think there's a better way to run this program and I just haven't gotten around to figuring it out. Or I would love to run a campaign and I have no idea what to do, Mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. coming in with some sort of challenge or idea or, you know, thing that's been on the wish list for a long time. And kind of going with the process and have a two and a half day experience, you know, facilitated workshops to get you to complete that project. And then the final day is an accelerator. And last year, like I said, was the first year we just launched it. And so to us, our expectations were, this is a huge experiment to see if it's a value, to see if people actually come up with ideas that are 
a value to them, you know, if, if this is a worthwhile investment and people showed up and that was basically the bar of, okay, (laughs) people actually (laughs) showed up to this thing that has never happened. So we couldn't point to what it looked like last year. Right. You know, the first year is always the most difficult in promotion. So people showed up and like, okay, that's, that's wonderful. But then what was so surprising is the number of people who came in totally open. They didn't have an idea in mind. They didn't have a specific project they wanted to work on. They just kind of gave into the process and over the couple days came up with ideas that weren't just great ideas, but that have been invested in, have been completely developed, have received grants, have, I mean, it actually was what we said it was going to be. And I guess it's not very good to sound surprised or to say that that was a surprising outcome. But, you know, we kind of thought it would be a space for people to connect and share and create relationships and, you know, maybe think, think some things through. But instead, there were people coming out of it with extremely tangible, very real programs and services that were going to support far more people in their community than they were currently serving. And there were people in the room saying, we want to fund that. That is an important thing that you have just created. Let's make it happen, which was kind of overwhelming in the moment to see actually materialize. Are you close enough to that event that there's maybe one or two of those that stand out, you know, a very specific program that you thought? Yeah, there was one that was really interesting. A woman from North Carolina who works in services that support children in foster service. And, you know, she came in not necessarily with a program in mind, but as she started working through some of the, you know, workshops and thinking about opportunity to serve, the story that came to her was, you know, the number of young people that they're serving and supporting in foster service that then turn 18 and legally are now an adult and, and just kind of, you know, wake up that morning on their birthday and are essentially kicked out of service. So thinking about what a continued service model would look like where, you know, you're having to think about government service and funds being allocated or not allocated against that support, but also what does it look like to really leverage partnerships and, you know, bring in incentives that are focused really on supporting these people, but, but create more community. And she had wonderful ideas that, like I said, have received support now and being built out. So I think that was something where we we could have never thought of that idea to, to even say, Hey, if you're thinking about expanding service, you know, you should come to this conference, sure, and think of course. It, mm-hmm. you know, but Um, She came in pretty open and, you know, just thinking about where they have missed opportunity and kind of generated something that I think is not just important for their community to have as as a extended program, but also something that could really be replicable in other other service areas. Mm, Super cool. Yeah. Speaking of you know how that will replicate or, or what the future looks like, what what do you think the future looks like for for Intent or for connecting the nonprofit world um, and and teaching them how to, how technology is important? What do the next five years look like for you? Yeah, that's a great question. So 
back in, I would say like early 2000s, the N10 community was primarily staff in nonprofits who identified as the technology staff person or consultants and contractors who were essentially outsourced IT. And around the kind of 2005, 2007 time, when, as you'll remember, you know, social media really took off and websites changed, some of the websites changed from being kind of an online brochure to really dynamic spaces online, the end-to-end community changed pretty quickly to having a lot more communications staff and fundraising staff joining the community because now all of a sudden they are using the database, right? And they're trying to send out email appeals and they're trying to figure out how to make their website more appealing and engaging. So the community really shifted at that time and it meant the content needed to shift and we needed to have programs, you know, educational programs that maybe weren't as technical because they weren't you know, they weren't for people that needed to know or wanted to know the really kind of back-end technical pieces, but they needed to know how to use that tool and how to make it work for them. And then more recently, as I think funders and just the larger nonprofit sector conversation has shifted around outcomes and impact and data, we've seen another shift in program staff and leadership level staff coming to the community saying, you know, we would love to be able to prove that we're helping all these people, but we don't know how to prove that. Or we have a bunch of data that we have no idea what it means, you know, so putting it in a graph is probably not very helpful. So it's been interesting to see as these larger kind of trends and shifts in the sector influence how people recognize that technology is is needed for them and and what kinds of technology they need. And I anticipate that we'll continue to see those shifts happen, both with, you know, different areas of staff, but also what they're coming for. And to me, it's great that that we have people coming and saying, I want to know what our impact is and I want to figure out how to measure that and tell that story versus people coming and saying, I want to use Facebook or, you know, if you're coming with just a specific tool, you're probably not going to feel like you get the answers you want. Right. But if you're coming with an outcome in mind, with a goal and and a strategy of why you want that, I think you're going to be open to many more connections, many more resources, a lot more learning because there are, there are a million different ways to prove your impact. Right. So coming in with that goal, instead of I just want to use this one tool, but we'll see, you know, there could be people coming in saying, we want to use drones. Maybe we need to add some, some educational programs around drones. I just, Uh, I want you to know that I personally know at least five people who just salivated that you just said, we're going to talk about drones. So exactly. (laughs) But at this, I mean, it's, it's kind of a funny joke. You know, we'll joke about drones or robots because it's funny to, whatever, joke about drones and robots. But at the end of the day, drones and robots are actually already proving to be valuable technology in this work. In sure. If, if, so, like our, our listeners have heard before, two of our guests have actually talked about drones for good. Yeah. And drones being used for environmental work, drones being used for uh, exactly. humanitarian aid, these, these kinds of things. So it's, you know. Exactly. So it's funny, but also at the end of the day, 
it might really be something that N10 has on the calendar in a couple of years, you know? And I also think when you work in technology, I mean, sometimes we say we work in nonprofits and sometimes we say we work in, non- in technology, right? So we work with nonprofits, but we, we do focus on technology and that changes every day in ways that most of us don't have any control over. So the idea of what we'll be talking about at the conference or what, you know, what kind of reports and webinars we'll have five years from now, I have no idea, but I know that we will be providing educational resources on the topics that our members are trying to engage with and that we'll be, you know, trying to engage the, com- the community in figuring out how we continue to improve as a sector uh, and, and how we do that certainly relies on the community telling us what they need, but yeah. I don't know if that's a cop-out answer, but I think... Not at all. You've given us at least five different examples about how you see evolution happening from Intense Genesis, but also what I think is, is it's just like the technology world in general. It's mm-hmm. this constant evolution, which unfortunately for most people ends up becoming a big frustration. Right. But it's becoming comfortable with that constant evolution and figuring out, as you said, what outcomes do you really want and how do you use this menage of tools and resources in order to drive those outcomes more effectively, right? Yeah. I mean, the tools are always going to change. You know, you, you don't necessarily... My dad worked in construction for his whole career. So I always go to construction examples. But I mean, you don't walk onto a construction site where they're building a house and say, like, let me see the same hammer that you've been using for the last 50 years. You know, you're going to change your tools. And what what you're doing is trying to be in a position where you can make a decision about which tool to use and why and at what time and for what purpose and what it's going to cost and what, you know, what the return on that investment is going to be because you're building the best house that you can build, not because you just always, no matter what you're doing, want to use that hammer. The last question that I have for you is one that I ask every guest here in terms of reference. Uh-huh. And that is, you know, the, the people who are listening to this podcast are people who are coming out of a master's degree, you know, mm-hmm. looking for their first opportunity or, or, you know, maybe their next opportunity in the nonprofit yeah. world, or they're people who are in the profit world or some other sector and they're interested in transitioning into this kind of work. Yeah. You have built a successful career in this business. Like almost everyone we interview here on the show, it's, you know, I like to say you sort of stumbled to where you are. You know, it's there, there's not this set career path where you've, you found opportunity, you've excelled, and then you've moved on to the next opportunity or you've created it for yourself. Mm-hmm. Are there one or two pieces of critical advice you'd give to our audience about how to create that sort of satisfaction and sustainability that, that you found? Yeah. I mean, I'm just trying to think, you know, as we've been talking and, and it's made me think about different jobs that I've had and different communities that I've had the opportunity to work with. My through line, like you said, is not, you know, I left college and said, okay, here's my career path. I mean, I would have never picked the path that I had if I had tried to anticipate it ahead of time. Um, And I'm sure that's a consistent comment. But I think for me, what's been my kind of guide in my process as I build my career is knowing who I want to work with and who I want to work for. Because, and when I say work with, I mean, what's that team like? Knowing that, you know, because if you don't like 
who you have to hang out with every day, all day long, you know, you're probably going to burn out a lot, a lot more quickly than if you're inspired by the people that you work with, where even if you're having a really hard day or you're up against a deadline, you feel like, okay, everybody's in this together. Mm -hmm. Knowing what I need and like and want to be around in a team has definitely guided a lot of my decisions. And then also who I want to work for, you know, do I want to work for a community that is addressing this issue? Do I want to work with communities, all different types? I mean, knowing kind of who you are and what that narrative is, who, who you want to work for, I think guides a lot because the mission, right? I mean, that's not going to change. You don't get to come in and just change the mission every organization you work at, but really knowing who it is that you want to serve, regardless of what that mission is, you know, knowing that that's the group of people that you really want to support. Again, that's where you can draw that inspiration from, even if you're feeling like there's so much work to do and you're never going to finish it all. And the to-do list is, is never going to be cleared off knowing that you're inspired by the people that are sitting next to you at the table and that you have the opportunity to serve outside the organization. I think maybe just for me, that's how it works, but I really need to know that that's how I can draw that inspiration and stay motivated because if it's just me, what's the point? I could just sit here on my laptop by myself all day, but figuring out that those two kind of inputs for inspiration Cause you know, a job is a job is a job, right? If it's really just a job to you. And for me, even if I wasn't that CEO of Entine, I'd probably still come in here and do this work and they would just think I was a crazy person. So, um, <laughs> this, this is where I feel like I am inspired by my colleagues and where I'm inspired by the community to do the best work that I can. Amy, thank you so very much for being a guest yeah. on our show. Oh my gosh. Thank you for having me. I'm Happy to have a Skype chat with you anytime. You've been listening to the Terms of Reference podcast from aidpreneur.com. Subscribe to us on iTunes. (laughs) 